the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to episode 80 of Magic Markets. We come to you in a week where the market is burning bright red. In particular this week, it's had a few rough weeks, but it's really uh, it's really not having a fun time this week. And, you know, that's how these markets work. There are ups and there are downs, and we're lucky enough to be able to speak to some really experienced people playing in this space who can help guide us through it and share their thinking with us, which ultimately just helps make everyone a better investor. And that's really what we are aiming to do here with Magic Markets. So, Obviously, co-host Mohammed Nali here, but uh, our guests this week are Craig Antoni and Justin Brophy from Anbro. So again, if you still haven't figured out where the Anbro name comes from, and if you just listen to those surnames again, you will surely get it this time. And uh, we're excited to do some more chatting around some of these U.S. growth stocks this week. Yeah, Ghost, uh, always a pleasure doing this with you and always a pleasure to welcome the team from, from Anbro. And I mean, guys, we, we really are chatting at quite a pivotal time in the market. I mean, at the time we're recording this, markets, the S&P specifically has officially gone into bear territory. I know that's kind of a, you know, one of those things where you're officially only in a bear market when you're when you're down 20%. But the fact of the matter is that there are large segments of the market that are down in excess of 20%. And I think this is really a quite a pivotal time in the markets because it's when you can actually prove your metal, when you can actually try and communicate to people that investment is about the longer term. And I think that's part of the discussion that we're having with you guys today, as well as trying to showcase some of the very exciting ideas. I mean, we've had these chats offline. They've been fascinating. I've certainly enjoyed it. And I want to actually bring that in here and share that with our listeners. So Justin, Craig, we've got you both on the show this time around, which is quite nice. Nice to have a full house. I'd like to welcome you. Welcome, Just. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Mo. Thanks for having us. And Ghost, thanks for having us. And it's exciting for me to be here with Craig as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm always great to be here. Always happy to be here. And very excited to chat about um, you know, another one of the companies that, that we invest in. Yeah, bear market demands a full house. Eh? you got to send in all the reinforcements. So this is what we, we're all dealing with this week. So just, Craig, I think to kick things off, something we're going to talk about this week is just hard to tell the difference between growth stocks that are the real deal and growth stocks that are, you know, a lot of hot air at the end of the day. And I think this is especially important when you're investing in technology, really. You're investing in companies that are building out the things that will shape the way we live, our health, the way we are treated for certain things 
10 years from now. You know, that's really, really difficult. And obviously comes with, you know, a different set of risks, I suppose, to assessing the cash flows of like a visa today. You know, we've just recorded Magic Markets Premium on that. You can see the cash flows today. They are right there. Doesn't mean the stock's not risky. Doesn't mean you can't lose money on it. It just means you're assessing something quite different. In the space you guys play in, you've got to think about things a little bit differently, don't you? You have to avoid uh, situations that can get really ugly. I think you're absolutely right, Ghost. You know, I think maybe the way to look at this is I'll, I'll just jump in in a discussion I had with Mohammed earlier and briefly with yourself. We were talking about something like Tyrannos, you know, the story of Elizabeth Holmes. And this thing is is really maybe, I think, a great example of where investors can get caught short in this space. And for those of you that don't know Theranos, well, this was something that started around 2004 by Elizabeth Holmes and was dubbed to be the next best thing in what is deemed the Holy Grail, which is one magic box that can test a very little bit of blood at a doctor's surgery or at a pharmacy and can diagnose over 240 different potential ailments. And uh, it's something the market really wants and uh, was, was so excited by it that even the likes of Joe Biden ended up endorsing this. And, you know, around the world, she raised in two different places, 700, then $400 million. And uh, on something that only she and a chap by the name of uh, Sonny Balwani to this day understand could actually work. So I think it's worth kicking off the discussion, talking about something like that that's technically vaporware that no one even understood. The only thing worse than being endorsed by Biden is surely being endorsed by Jim Cramer. I mean, that's that's the ultimate kiss of death. And if you get endorsed by both, then you know it's over. End of days. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's the interesting thing, right? I mean, just, Craig, also for the benefit of, of some of our listeners who maybe haven't listened to some of the previous Anbro shows, I think it's almost worthwhile saying that you know, the companies that you're looking at in the space are not just companies where you think there's a good fundamental underlying story, but they're also companies that do good in the world, that solve a problem. And they either do that in a unique way or in a new way, in a novel way, which is why it's important to try and conceptualize that because that is also by definition the space where there could be the risk of a lot of fluff. So I think that's really the purpose of this discussion is that, you know, how do you sort out or how do you sift some of the fluff from the reality? What are the tools that you guys use at Anbro to identify whether a stock is something that's just hot air or an actual underlying business that solves a real world problem? Sure, well, I'll kick off with the first leg of this answer, and if Justin you know, would like to add, I'm sure you know, he'll jump in and do that. I think one of the things we, we certainly look for before investing in any business is the really what it is that the business offers the world and what it is that the business offers its customers. And ideally, you know, we want to be invested alongside companies that are doing well and doing good at the same time. And, um, you know, whether it be in pure technology, like a cybersecurity type business, or in healthcare technology, um, like, you know, one of the businesses we're going to be chatting, or both of the businesses we're going to be chatting about today, you know, that's a key issue that we that we look for. So, you know, it's a company that's got to be, um, you know, relevant to, to the customers that it um, offers its service or its product to. And, um, you know, that invariably makes it a, a very sort of essential part of their customer lives. And that in itself, you know, makes it sticky. And, you know, as of, um, you know, the bear markets that we've you know, been talking about a little, bit early, a little bit earlier and all the rest of it, these are the sorts of products that, you know, customers generally will not, you know, just simply avoid or stop using either through necessity, 
um, or through, you know, just purely, um, you know, what it is they bring to their lives. So there's two stocks on the menu today. Super keen to get into them because Justin, we hosted you the last time where we chatted to you guys and we had such fun learning about these stocks and I think our audience really enjoyed it as well. So I'll hand over to you. Tell us about the first one. So I think the first one we want to talk about today is a stock called Dexcom. And uh, just to mention something interesting, to give you an idea, Ghost, of the, the sort of reach that you and Mo do get, we had a call from one of our clients, um, a good client and friend of the business, called us in, was super excited about one of the stocks we spoke about last time. Um, you know, and when we spoke about the stock, the guy was super excited about finding out how to do it in South Africa or how to use this product. So I think we're not here to endorse products or really say that you should have a look at it. We're looking at this from an investor case. And in our world, this is an important stock because we believe it does good to Craig's point. And also it is solving a big headache for people. And this stock that we're talking about today is called Dexcom. Uh, Dexcom, believe it or not, is also available in South Africa. So this is one people can actually use. Dexcom is basically, when we look at it, a, a very simply formed company from a purpose point of view. They regard themselves as specialists in uh, co uh, constant glucose monitoring. You know, if we look at diabetes, and I made some notes here about diabetes in South Africa, and uh, maybe it's just easier to talk as a South African and talking about South Africans in this space. There's approximately four and a half million South Africans um, in the adult population who at this stage um, are potentially um, on the verge of diabetes, are either diabetic or haven't been tested. That's four and a half million people or 12.8% of your, your population. And one of the fundamental problems with diabetes testing is that traditionally it's a fingerprint, a finger prick I should say, and what will happen is people will come in and uh, it's either your mom, you, or a testing regime historically where you test before you eat perhaps after you've eaten, or at certain points in the day. The problem is you end up with a very varied uh, glucose, um, you know, and, and insulin sort of range that could be way out of that at any given time. And the secret to Dexcom is they've been able to integrate technology and a user-friendly system whereby they use little, they look like little plasters. It can be applied to, to your lower back, um, you know, just above your, your, your butt, you can put it on there, you can put it on the back of your arm, and you can put it on your stomach. And for kids two years and over, this little applicator is regarded by their clients as 84% of people say it's pain-free. That then connects to your phone and gives you constant glucose monitoring. And not only that, but it also gives you the ability to then forward that information live onto 10 other people. So you can imagine a child at school, um, or a partner or wife of, of an individual or husband who has that and is driving home, for example, and at least their wife would know what is going on or potential spikes. And the secret to, to Dexcom is Dexcom's ability to do what they're good at as a company, and what they're good at is constant glucose monitoring. It goes back um, where before they even started for 10 years, there was um, uh, the research done by Dr. Stuart Updike and George Hicks, which formed you know, the, the basis of this company from 1999. And 10 years later, they then, um, you know, utilizing a decades-long study, they were able to go public in 2005. And there's a little bit of a secret there. When you see a lot of tech companies and a lot of biotechs, often people will tell you, you know, these guys are in, um, you know, uh, 
sequencing of uh, DNA. Now, I'd be interested to know how many people and even how many listeners even understand what that is, because I'll be honest, I, I, I can tell you what I know about it and it's very little. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. Whereas I can tell you that when I look at someone like Dexcom, I know what they do. As a South African, I can even buy it off the website. I can buy the stickers that last up to 10 days. I can look at my phone and I've got technology to manage my, my glucose piece. The other secret to it, and Craig alluded to this, is these guys also look to not only do that, but they built an entire marketing uh, arm for themselves and launched at the 2021 Super Bowl with Nick Jonas coming on board as what they call one of their warriors. Now, a, a warrior at Dexcom can be a five-year-old, it can be Nick Jonas, it can be they've got pilots on there, and they've got all sorts of people who are now on this, this platform as warriors. And what it's doing is helping people with diabetes lead normal lives. And it's showing you that you can be anything. Now, now that's, that's where I'd leave the intro on Dexcom as a start. And then let's start with some questions and ideas. Yeah, so I, I think, Justin, you know, that, that's fascinating because it addresses that whole, this is a, a real world problem. Uh, I mean, certainly we all know, I think we all know people who have suffered through diabetes or diabetes management. And longer term, this can actually come with, with considerable costs. So again, I, I like that aspect is that it's a business that solves a problem. Uh, what is also interesting that I want to bring into this is, is Justin, in one of the discussions we had had, is that one of the partners or investors in, Desk, in Dexcom is Verily. And for those of you not familiar with Verily, Verily is the biotech or life sciences arm of Alphabet, which is Google. So, so that certainly gives me maybe an indication that there's some serious money or interest behind this. But my question goes down to almost, you know, the, the Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos discussion we had earlier on is a lot of these businesses seem to solve a great real world problem. But how do you know it's a real business versus it being a business of again, smoke and mirrors. I mean, maybe it's tied to how aggressively the founders try and list a business. Maybe it's tied to, you know, how how cash hungry the business is versus real revenue generation. Maybe give us some of those real market or company analysis indicators that you guys look at to try and discern whether something's worth chasing as a real life long-term business or just some hot air and marketing spin. Okay, so, I mean, I'll jump in first. Let Craig jump in as well when he's ready. I think the first thing to answer that question for me is, when we look at a company, are the products real? Are they approved? Are people buying them? And can people access them? And then what is the, the sort of measurement metrics? You know, whether it's a consumer score given to this company, um, are they highly regarded? Do customers stay with them when they use the product? You know, what's happened? And one of the things in this case is that these guys have been able to take diabetes from a scenario where you'd have to go typically to an endocrinologist first and get something prescribed, down to a scenario where you can go into a pharmacy in most countries or online and buy the various technology and use it with your phone. And I think what you're seeing now is an expansion where we can see them going, growing by almost 13 million customers into new markets where they're going quite, they've just received approval for Europe for their new, uh, it's called a G7. They're currently a series of their products called a G6, which you can buy in South Africa. Their G7, which is a slightly smaller plaster. And so what you've got is real metrics with a real product that's approved by the, the right medical um, you know, regulators. And then we can see real sales, real cash. These guys, as at the end of May, were sitting on almost $3 billion in cash as a company. 
You know, they they are a real company that one looks at. And I know for sure one of the things that Ghost likes to look at is he always takes us on and he hates profitless tech. So he has a thing for Ghost where we've got something you can look at, you can get your teeth into, and you've got a real company with a real good mo. So I'd like to start with that. And Craig, what do you reckon from there? You want to add? Sure. Well, the first thing I would say, or I jump in and add, Mo, is um, you know, one's got to look at you know where a company like this started from and, and where it came from and, and where it's going to. So the first thing is it was really, you know, the the background comes from a, a business where you have parents who had kids that suffer from type one diabetes. They obviously realize how this um, impacts the quality of the life that these children have. Now, remember, you know, with someone that has type 1 diabetes, in, in many, many cases, you have to inject yourself with insulin, perhaps once, twice, you know, three times a day, I guess, even depending on, um, you know, how severe the, the disease is in your own personal case. And, you know, they found that for, for kids in particular, you know, they were unable to lead the sort of quality of life, you know, that felt any normal child should lead. And, you know, this is really where it kind of started. And, um, you know, there really came from a market where there were parents out there that were looking for, for a better life for their kids. And Dexcom really came about and said, well, you know, we think we have a solution for this. So there was already a market there that was looking to be served, a problem that needed to be solved. Um, the other way to look at it to see whether the business has traction and whether there's, um, you know, a real business or not is to actually look at the, you know, the market that it's serving. How many customers does it have? There's an estimate at the moment that there are probably about 9 million people in the world that suffer from type 1 diabetes. Um, there are um, about 1.2 million people on Dexcom's books as we speak. So, you know, this is a, a real product with a real need and is serving real, client, real clients or customers in real time. So that's something else. Um, obviously, if one looks at the, you know, the advent of diabetes as a whole and how it's, you know, expanding on a, from a global basis, you know, not just type 1, but type 2, um, you know, the amount of people in the world that suffer from type 2 diabetes at the moment probably exceeds 400 million people. And there are estimates that, you know, that's probably going to rise to, you know, closer to five or even 600 million people by, say, 2027 and about 800 million people by 2045. So although the market has been predominantly focused on type 1 diabetics, um, it is currently being tested on and is being rolled out into type 2 diabetics as well. Now we know type 2 diabetes isn't the type of diabetes that you're born with, but it might be one due to lifestyle or diet or, you know, wherever it is you happen to live in the world, you know, there are sort of prevalence of, of diabetes across different demographics and that as well. Um, and then there's even a third leg, you know, which is becoming more and more prevalent. It's not necessarily a massive market, but it's really in the um, in the sports market and for high profile um, athletes, you know, that are looking at ways to, you know, to measure their insulin as they train, as they exercise and as they actually perform sport on a live basis. And, you know, we found that, you know, some of the research the company is finding is that, you know, they can find optimal times to train if you're a, a marathon runner, for example, you know, in terms of what your glucose level is, you know, you should be training at certain parts of the day or at certain times of the day, um, you know, to benefit your training and your, and your fitness. So there's varying, I guess, you know, usages or, or use points 
for the particular product that vary from the essential type 1 diabetes um, offering to a growing type 2 diabetes um, clientele, which is enormous relative to the type 1 offering, and then an even more, um, I suppose, niche offering, if you like, in, say, top-end sports. There's All of the data from this is also to tie back to most question there about Verily or point on Verily. A lot of this data is now being collected and looked at properly. So for the first time, you can actually see not only what happens in the States, but you could break it down within the States. You can start to break this down around the world as well. So that data is now feeding into the right engine. Let's be honest, Dexcom's not a, a huge tech um, like Alphabet or huge, you know, sort of uh, hugely uh, focused on that. But that, t that data is now actually being used by Verily as well to help assist and look at new solutions with it as well. Yeah, so just to your point, I do like seeing tech companies that make a profit, which is great. And we don't want to spend the whole show on this one, but I do want to obviously ask you, as I always do, a little bit about valuation. So I'm just looking at the stock price chart. So it's interesting. It's trading around a 52-week low. But if you go back to mid-2019, so three years, the stock price is double where it was in mid-2019. So again, this is the you know this is the importance of looking through the cycle. If you're going to invest in this growth sector of the market, you've got to be prepared to wear the roller coaster and lift your head in three, five years' time, and suddenly you've doubled your money, hopefully, in theory. So that's what certainly happened over the last three years, despite how nasty the last sort of six months kind of looks on the chart. Just quickly, how do you guys think about valuation for a business like this? You know, what techniques do you use to decide whether or not it's time to add to the position or maybe cut? Well, I think the, you know, the one thing we look at is obviously the growth trajectory over time. Um, obviously, the, the size of the market, the you know, the necessity of the product and also, you know, what the share price has done relative to, say, its, its recent performance. So, you know, to your point a bit earlier, um, Ghost, you know, in 2019, you know, Dexcom came out with a, a gross profit of about $900 million or so. You know, fast forward to, to December 21, it was almost $1.7 billion. So you, ha you have seen considerable growth in the business as it starts to scale up and as the business gains traction. Now, the, the, I think the, the appeal for a company like this is that there still is an enormous amount of money that's been invested into things like um, R&D expenses, um, marketing and sales and the like. I mean, if one looks at the, you know, the last um, earnings report, you'll see operating expenses were $1.4 billion. R&D expenses were $600 million. Um, sales and and um, admin expenses were you know eight hundred million dollars or so. So there's a lot of money that's been pumped into this business um, to take advantage of this massive potential growth runway. Um, that's ahead of it. Now, um, you know, if one obviously strips out, you know, all those um, expenses that are going to be you know sort of thrown into future growth, the company would be far more profitable than it is today. But you know, nonetheless, it's still on you know, $1.7 billion of turnover delivered operating income of just under $300 million. So, you know, the margins are huge and the opportunity set is significant. And if the business did decide to focus purely on profitability and not growth, it would be considerably more profitable than it is today. And in that, we'd see that valuation just created right down. Um, obviously, if you have a company that has a 1.3 million share of a 9 million type 1 diabetic market, and an almost zero share of a you know potential 600 million type 2 
diabetic market, you know, one can understand all the effort that's been put into, um, you know, growing the brand, growing the business, making it more available on a global scale. And that really as a growth investor is what one's got to look at. One's got to say, well, I am sacrificing a lot of my profitability today. And that is reflected in a relatively high valuation compared to a lot of other companies out there. Um, however, you know, if this company just gets 10% of the total, you know, diabetic market in the world, including type one and type two, you know, that's a business that is, gosh, I mean, you have, you know, 70, 70 odd million customers from 1 million today, you know, so it's an enormous, um, an enormous opportunity. The other thing with adding, I think, is that they are clearly the market leader in this space. So there are other competitors that have, um, you know, that obviously are come, coming along and they do um, compete or, or compete against them in the market. But the, the two key issues we look for then is obviously the size of the market. So can it accommodate, you know, multiple um, players in the market? And in this case, we definitely think it can. And then the other one is you want to make sure that you in the, um, the best business in that space and the one that is the market leader in the space. And we think that ticks that box as well. Sure. And I will, I think an important part here is just to add one last thing. If you look at Dexcom, uh, this was raised by Craig earlier today in a discussion we had. It's one of the lowest volatility, let's call it, um, uh, stocks in our portfolio relative to, to its benchmark. And I think doing good, all the numbers, and having a stock also like that in your in your portfolio is 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 actually just a, a very very nice anchor in this space. Now the next one is a stock called Hanger. Uh, share code is HNGR, and they are also in a space where, like we've said, it's great to invest in companies that are doing good. What do they do? They're a prosthetics company, so they look at anything from when children are born with skulls they haven't knitted together. They have almost what looks like a little bit of a, a small mini crash armor piece that children can wear to help the skull knit and then all the way through to whether it's military vets or anybody out there that's had to unfortunately have a limb removed and um, requires a prosthetic and these guys are are just so clever a bit like uh, the Dexcom guys in that they have not only got a product which they themselves produce so they own that part of their business as well they're also very well integrated just like Dexcom is with the medical insurers and all of the different players and hospitals around the US, for example, as, as Hanger is. And so what happens is you have a company where if I need to get a prosthetic for whatever reason, the likelihood is my specific surgeon or physio, whoever I'm dealing with, is likely to look at these guys first. They've got one of the highest approval ratings and they are fully integrated with majority of the medical insurances. So the likelihood that if we go there, you'll get a good product on the one side is also you know, something good from a, a medical insurance point of view. The other part about them that I like is that they've gone beyond just prosthetics. And this is why we really like the company beyond the sort of qualitative um, and quantitative numbers pieces. Is that these guys are also involved in building a community of people utilizing these prosthetics. Whether those people um, are supported you know, from the time that they learn they're going to lose a limb or right through to whether you know, after that, you know, you don't just walk out. I mean, I've, I've myself been in some serious uh, car accidents and things like that and touch wood. I've never lost a limb, but I've had to get braces and things like that. And I know in SA, you know, you literally walk over, they, someone hands you the brace and, well, you're on your way. Hopefully you've got a good physio to help you. 
Um, in this case, what happens is you become part of their community and you are then part of the, the whole uh, sort of hangar uh, group whereby there's support for you. Uh, I've even read an article on them where they've started to help people with certain prosthetics actually get employment in the States because they've realized that, you know, it counts for certain scorecards. And from an ESG point of view, they're starting to help people with that as well. So across the board, the integration of this company is, is very clever. They're a company that does good, but also understands the client base using their product. Something I've picked up, they talk about on their website about being the industry leader. So this seems to be a common thread for you guys. And that's what I wanted to ask is, you know, it's these growth areas, but you're buying, in many cases, it seems the market leader in a growth area. Is that part of how you at least take some of the risk out of the system? Because obviously this is quite difficult stuff to forecast and think about whether or not it's going to work out. But buying the market leader gives you some protection, right? It does, but you know, Ghost, it's got to be important. One of the things to look at is, like we spoke about last time, is the TAM. You know, what's the total addressable market? We don't want to buy someone who's a market leader and, you know, from here on in, it's it's got very small growth capability. Rather, we'd like to go, you know, buy guys like Craig has articulated earlier, but where it's a lot more transparent as to what the opportunity looks like. And uh, in this case, you know, these guys are, are incredible. I mean, their CEO... Um, and a chap by the name of Vinit Assar, he, he actually came out earlier and in one of the analyst meetings, an analyst queried him and said, listen, what's going on with the first quarter of this year, you know, Q1 2022? And he was able to just off the cuff say to the guys, you know, look, because of COVID, we were struggling. You're talking about an industry where people have got to see people to fit these uh, specific prosthetics. We also had to build these prosthetics. And because of COVID, we had too many people off. So we had to outsource. What we've done since then is opened our new factory where we've got our own capabilities internally and we've been able to open up significantly. And just immediately the guy knew that, you know, historically the first quarter, for example, is where they only see 5 to 10% of their revenue, whereas they make most of their revenue by Q3. And those are the cycles within the medical insurance rebates, how all of these things actually work, particularly in the States. And so not only is it a market leader, but it's it's having leaders in the company that are transparent, honest, and understand their business. Yeah, I think something that stood out for me just when, when I went and I had a look at the stock was, first of all, that it's it's in this space, in this healthcare space, but it's actually a company that's been around since the 1800s. So that, that surprised me a little bit. Uh, but the, uh, going back to the nitty gritty, to the financials, the thing that stood out for me, and Ghost will know this, our listeners will know this, is I tend to have a very strong debt aversion. And on this company's specific balance sheet, they, they seem to have this monstrous debt to equity type ratio. So may, maybe just chat to, to us a little bit about that, because I, I buy the business. I like the idea. I like the fact that they have a community around the prosthetics, around you know solving a real world problem. But what does the health of this company's balance sheet look like? And how are you contextualizing that in your investment case? Yes, I mean, you are right, Mo. I mean, ideally, we do tend to focus on companies that have um, very little debt on the balance sheet. Um, but there are some exceptions to that. And I think, you know, when one looks at that, you know, one's really got to look at the really the sort of business that you're investing in and whether, you know, that debt is used to, you know, to grow the business or if it's used um, in a more sort of irresponsible fashion. Now, the thing about Hanger is Hanger is the market leader in the market. I mean, they have a 25% share of the market. The market grows at a very steady, you know, one and a half to 2%, 2.5% per annum. So this is not a um, Amazon-esque 
um, high tech growth stock business, you know, where there's an enormous amount of um, risk in the company and in the market, you know. When you have 25% of a market that is growing steadily, you know, you, you generally have customers in this space that are pretty much customers on a lifelong basis. You know, these are the sorts of business that, um, or rather, these are the sorts of customers that will be a customer for a very long time. You know, the prosthetics require replacements on a um, three to five year basis. Obviously, when you, you know, you have a business that has a very large market share in a, in a, in a market segment that is growing at a, at a relatively slow and steady rate, you know, these companies are, they'll become a little bit more like utility-like. I mean, one can see a very clear line of sight in terms of where the cash flows are coming from, what your expenses are likely to, um, to be, and how one manages the balance sheet from that perspective. Also, most of the cash that they get paid comes from government. So these businesses, or, or this particular business, is on Medicare and Medicaid in the States, so there's a very high certainty that, you know, when they do have a product issued or a, um, a prosthetic limb, you know, given to a customer, they are then going to get paid for that. Um, also, you know, when you do something, um, you know, like this for a patient, you know, what we find is that the promoter scores, the, the, the patient's um, sort of love for the product um, is considerable. And because we have the majority of patients needing, needing lifelong care and adjustments and replacements on, you know, probably a three to five year cycle, the loyalty to the product and to the quality of that product um, ensure that you have a, you know, a very strong repeat business and repeat customer, um, customer count. So I think that does go some way in, in mitigating the risk of higher debt on the balance sheet. Um, but having said that, I mean, the business has also made an exceptional effort over the last few years to reduce expenses, you know, and they've shifted from an operating loss of about $70 million in 2016 to operating income of $72 million or so by 2020. So, you know, they're constantly looking at ways of running this business, perhaps more like a utility um, than it is a high growth tech stock um, that is not necessarily profitable at the moment. Um, again, there is also a considerable amount of cash, you know, that goes into things like R&D and marketing expenses and that sort of thing, you know, and if one looks at just say the, you know, the last um, December 2021 results, I mean, they had um, turnover of about $1.1 billion operating or gross profit was $370 million, but operating income was about $73 million and you have, you know, about $130 million of that turnover that went just into selling and general and administration expenses and um, you know that's over a third of the income you know that's going into trying to you know grow the business still you know so again it's one of those where you know if they dial back any of those um, you know massive expense lines to you know to focus on harvesting cash flow um, the cash flow will come through thick and faster and the debt burden will be eliminated relatively quickly. Just to add to that, uh, they are an interesting business. They quite, in a, in a year, they earn revenue at a specific time, you know, more than other companies. So when you take a snapshot of them at the beginning of the year, that's when they're earning 5 to 10% of their revenue. By Q3, they're earning the majority of their revenue. Now, if I look at some of the results, and to answer your question with more numbers, you know, if we look year on year, they consumed 34.1 million less in, in dollars operating cash flow during the first quarter of 2022 than they did in 2021. 
And also what they've done is they've just launched their 49,000 square feet, uh, you know, sort of warehouse plus factory for both production and housing all of their materials and everything like that into one place. So I think what's happened here is these guys have also used the opportunity over the last sort of year to two years where we have seen, you know, anomalies in companies to regear themselves. And I think what we're going to see going forward, if we look at their guidance and what's out there, is they're able to now produce and take some of the acquisitions they've made and the new uh, sort of uh, patient care approach that they've got with their own, you know, manageable cost structures, as opposed to before where they've, they've had to outsource bits and pieces here and there. They've now got it all in-house. So that makes a big difference to where that debt's been allocated. Maybe I can make a point here to help uh, investors think about this stuff. And then that's probably what we've got time for this week. So when you're looking at a company like this, I think it's really important, you know, when you're doing your financial modeling to think about, firstly, as you've pointed out, you know, the seasonality of cash flows. So Q1 is a tough one to look at for this company. It doesn't reflect what the full year looks like at all if you have a look through the numbers. Secondly, how much cash is left on the balance sheet versus the cash burn? And there what you're trying to do is model out, you know, the worst case scenario is this thing ends in an equity capital raise. That's what you don't want. Um, is any kind of rights office. So you're really assessing what the likelihood is of that. And the last thing you would plug into a model like that is the repayment terms on the on the loans. So whether it's a bullet structure years later and there's lots of breathing room or are there quarterly repayments, which I think is the case here, you know, over a period of time, or is it due very soon, in which case you need to say, oh, you know, that's a little bit scary. So, you know, this is where it becomes interesting and difficult, but it's another example of two or two examples of really interesting companies that you guys look at in the fund. I think just to finish off, as always, it's good reminding the listeners where they can find you. So maybe just to sign off with, you know, where they can get more information about what you guys are up to. And then uh, we look forward to having you back next month. Sure. Thanks very much, Ghost. And thank you, Mo, for having us. For listeners, uh, please feel free to get hold of us either via the product website, which is the investinunicorns.com website, or via our main website, which is anbro.co. And I'll repeat that it's anbro.co. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, guys. It's been fun to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this. Until next week, same time, same place. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future. Invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 